Welcome to Control the Controllables. My name is John McGahan from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland, and I'm here with my co-host, Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we have created a podcast, bringing some of the top tennis athletes and tennis coaches from across the globe together. We hope you enjoy our next episode. Welcome to episode 47 of Control the Controllables. Today we have Neil Harmon. Neil Harmon was a sports journalist for 30 plus years. Um, well known in the world of tennis for working firstly at the Daily Mail, then the Telegraph, then the Times. Uh, he really was at the forefront of British tennis and, and, and the news that was reported through newspapers on that. In 2014... Neil lost his job for plagiarising the, the Wimbledon annual of 2014. This is Neil's chance to tell his story. You know, it's one, of, one of the first times that he's come on a show like this to talk about it. And it's also a chance for us to hear all the amazing experiences that Neil has from stories with Andy Murray, Stan Varinka, and, and many more. I love the chat. I hope you guys listening can listen with an open mind. As I say in the podcast, we're all guilty of making mistakes in our life and, and we all deserve second chances. Neil's certainly now grabbing his second chance with both hands, but there's still some doors to be opened in the journalist world and also at the All England Club at Wimbledon. I'd also like to take this opportunity where we have had some amazing feedback as I've mentioned previously. Um, it's been difficult times. It's five months since the lockdown started here in Spain. And, and, and everyone will probably have similar stories to me on this. But in our family, my, my mum was diagnosed with dementia 18 months ago. And that's meant valuable time that we haven't been able to spend together in 2020. With the travel bans, with the shielding. And, and what my mum said to me last week is these podcasts are making her feel as if I'm in the house with her when she's listening to them. And that touched me more than, as you can imagine, any other bit of feedback. I wanted to share that because I'm sure there's lots of you that are also going through difficult times, not being able to spend time with family members and you know, having these moments to be able to spend with each other, whether it's on Zoom, phone calls, and really I hope that we're, we're all going to get through this period of time, and I think we'll all value the time with each other even more. So a big shout out to my amazing mum, and I love you very much. It's another fantastic episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope everyone else listening really enjoys it. I'm going to pass you over to Neil Harmon. So Neil Harmon, a massive welcome to Control the Controllables. Thank you, Dan. It's, it, it, it's great to be here. I've been trying to control the controllables for a long time, let me tell you. Yeah, we, we, all, we all try. We don't, always, we don't always complete that mission. But no, it's a real treat for us to have you on the show, Neil. Um, for, those, for those listening in, you know, we like to give a little introduction. Um, Neil was a journalist for many, many years, and, and I'm, I'm sure I'll miss a couple of your jobs out, but the Evening Echo in Southend, 
um, to Birmingham Evening Mail. So when I was looking into that, I know that that's my wife's family will be very happy to hear that and they'll have some memories. And then started in football at the Daily Mail before moving into tennis, um, which we'll get into this in a bit, but actually gave Mike Dixon his first job, who was on the, who was on the episode a couple of weeks ago. And then I think probably in the tennis world, what we know you mostly for, Neil, is when you went to the Telegraph and then, and then the Times, where, where you reported so incredibly well for so many years, wrote the Wimbledon an annual for, for, for many years, um, and, and a name that is well-known in tennis uh, globally. You know, I know I've never been to a big tournament over the last over the last 15 years without seeing you around there so it's it's fantastic to have you on the show it's 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 really a pleasure and a privilege dan it'd be nice to hopefully um tell a few stories and and let people know what the what the situation was and 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 now is no absolutely and and with these podcasts we set them out our, our big things were to to energize, educate, and entertain people through through the lockdown period, and you know, as it's as the lockdown periods moved moved on, um, you know, we have continued. I think this will be episode forty seven that'll be going out at the weekend. You know, it's been my age. To everyone, exactly. <laughs> I only wish it was. <laughs> uh, but what's how's this time period been for you? Um, well, I've, I've sort of I've, I've used it up, I, I think, as well as I possibly could. Um, very strange times, of course, for everybody around the world, and it's no, it's no different here. Um, I've, I've just finished a book on on a season with uh, with Wickham Wanderers, which has turned out to be um, probably the most extraordinary year of, of my career. And I've I've had a few, to be perfectly honest with you, but in terms of how how the story came about and how the story ended. Um, three weeks ago now at Wembley Stadium, an empty Wembley Stadium, really has been the, the, the most remarkable story. So I've, I've, I've been very lucky um, in this period when, uh, you know, the whole world has, has gone crazy. Um, obviously football like and tennis, so many other sports have suffered in the, in the circumstances, but I was able to continue to write during the uh, the period when we couldn't do much more than than sit at home and, and wait to see how um, you know how how the whole situation would unfold. So I've I've been fortunate, Dan, that um, I had a, I had a um, a project to fulfil, and it it has been fulfilled now in the most in the most remarkable way. So so I, I've I've been I've been lucky. I'm, I've got my health, which is great. Um, which is you know the most important thing, uh, and um, touch wood, uh, we're we're okay, we're okay. And and with the the story, and, and obviously to kind of, we also almost starting at the end of where we're at at the start, which is which is absolutely fine. In in terms of Wickham Wanderers who got promoted at Wembley through the playoffs, which is is this amazing end at Wembley, would would the book have been affected? And, and not being able to be published if the season hadn't have completed? Uh, we, we, would have, we would have completed it in whatever form the okay. end of the season took. H had it been cancelled, we would obviously have just written that, that it was cancelled. Yep. It, it wouldn't have been the greatest finish, but we had to just follow the lead of, of how yep. the thing evolved. Um, and whatever the scenario was at the end, that was the end. Yep. It just so happened that everything from my perspective fell so remarkably into place uh, 
um, I mean, I, we, we'll, we'll go into that probably a little bit later on in, the, in our conversation, but I was fortunate uh, yeah. that, that it, it ended the way it did. But whatever had transpired, we were, the book would have come out. It just wouldn't have felt as fulfilling as obviously it has done now that the season has ended and not only ended, ended yeah, with, yeah. The, with the, the fairy tale finish that I, that I hadn't dreamt would ever happen. Absolutely. And I have to, I know it's a tennis podcast as such, but sport is sport. You know, we all, we all love sport. That has to be one of the best on-field interviews ever at the end with the Wickham Wanderers player as well. Tell, tell, the, tell the listeners about that. Well, th- th- there is no more recognisable um, physique uh, in, yeah. in, in the Football League than Adebayo Akinfenwa. Yeah. Uh, he's 37, coming up to 38 years old. He's 16 stone. He's a massive presence both on and off the field. And, uh, you know, he's got one million Instagram followers. I hope they all buy the book. (laughs) And I I can retire and come and live where where you do. Um, And uh, he he just stood there and said, you know, God God made the um, impossible possible. There's, There's nothing you can't do. If you set your if you set your mind to it and, and put it in your heart, you can, you can do incredible things. And he just said, "Can you hear me at the back? Wickham are in the championship. Can you hear me? Wickham are in the championship." And it it, it really is um, a a most absurd but gratifying yep. story that the little man can succeed. And, and I'm not, I'm not talking about him as a per- yeah, yeah. the little club, the little person. Yeah. However, however many um, blockades there are, you can knock yeah. them down. If yeah, you absolutely. truly believe, and absolutely. I think that's that's you know almost for anyone listening in any sport, absolutely. it doesn't matter what's put in front of you, you can knock it down. Absolutely, and that and I think that's why we love sport so much, you know. And I think that's like we talked about off air a moment ago. It's like the Roy of the Rovers story, and and when we set this podcast up, actually, the first thought I had was I need Johnny Murray and Freddie Nielsen on this show. You know, and they're, they're two very good friends of mine, but I, I'm still yet to, to see a Roy of the Rovers story like theirs in, in the tennis world. And the feel-good factor that that brings, and that was back in 2012. I'm friends with them, but I have no other ulterior motive with them. I don't receive anything for them, for them doing that other than just pure joy <laughs> to see exactly what you're saying, the, the little man in sport going on and achieving something that, that we don't think is possible. And, and that crosses over to life as well. So, you know, it's, it's a great message, that's for sure. And in, and in their case, uh, two of the nicest people I'd met in sport as well, understated, didn't, you know, they, they weren't superstars. Absolutely. Um, John, Johnny played a style that, you know, you wished you could play or you'd wish to see more. Yeah. And he just found the perfect, the perfect yeah. um, uh, teammate, as it were, in, in, in Freddie. And, and what, a, what a story that was. I was, yeah. I was writing tennis in those days and, and that yeah. gave me as much satisfaction as anything else I'd ever seen on Centre Court. No, no, absolutely. And, and in terms of life now, I think it's six years outside of, outside of tennis as being your, being your world. How, how closely are you following tennis? Is it still part of your world? Uh, in, in small doses, actually, it's strange. I find it very hard to watch. Right. Um, yeah. And that's, that's only because if you're completely immersed in something, I yeah. mean, I, I wouldn't miss a practice session yeah. if I could possibly help it back, yeah. back in the day. Yeah. And I was so, so involved. 
Yeah. Uh, now, because I'm, I, I, I can't do anything after the event or during the event or before the event. I, yeah. You know, I don't see anybody. I, it's, it's, I feel de so detached and it's a, yeah. it's a great shame in a way, but that's the way it is. Yeah. I find it strangely damn very, very difficult to watch. Except yeah. if I go and see, if I, if I do go and see something and I've been to Queens uh, a couple of times in the last few years, I'm there from, you know, morning, noon till, till yeah, night yeah. and I can't get enough of it, but yeah, I need yeah. to be involved to really have a sense of this is what I, this yeah. is what I'm doing. This is what I need to do. And do you think you will ever be involved in tennis again? I very much doubt it, sadly. Well, okay. who knows? Um, to be fair, before I did this particular Wickham project, I had a tennis book in mind okay. that I think personally now, um, a couple of years after I'd had the idea, it might still it might still work. Okay. I was trying okay. to get some. I was I was trying to get some backing for it, yeah. and no one saw the story evolving as I saw it evolving. Yeah, call, yeah. Me a, call me a dreamer maybe yeah. but i i could see something yeah that nobody else could see and yeah. sadly it didn't materialize but i yeah. still think it might and on the back of what i've done in mm -hmm. football perhaps there's another there'll be an opportunity but day to day not not anymore okay. no, no. And, and what on that i have to i have to ask even though obviously i don't want you giving the full storyline away what give us a little tease of what that that kind of idea was about well i saw a particular british tennis player um who I thought was a great, well, I didn't think, I know is a great character. Um, yeah. And it, it, it was a bit like the Wickham project, spending a, spending a year with, with him yeah. uh, and just being alongside and getting a sense of what it all meant. Yeah. Um, and I think it would have been a fantastic story and it yeah. might still be a fantastic story yeah. if, if, we, if we hook up again. And that was what yeah. I really wanted to do, to give an insight into... Um, what it really means to be out mm. there, you know, 24 seven, yeah. 12 months of the year, uh, trying to make your way in, in, in a sport, of which I still have a tremendous affection. Yeah. Uh, and I think telling the story of how a professional lives his life mm. uh, would be, a, would be a, a, a fascinating insight. You've got one buyer here. <laughs> I, 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 it is because it is it's it, getting the real nitty-gritty insights is for me there's nothing better you know i love live and breathe sport i love everything about sport and but i, I think getting in under the bonnet and getting to those real insights is is something so special and only kind of enhances the experience for for someone who's such a sports fan that's for sure well, my, you know my my thought on that Dan is that you, we're in a very privileged or I have been in a very privileged position to get to see what happens behind mm -hmm. the scenes yeah and that is where the general public can't yeah. go I can go where the general public can't go yes and that affords you a great responsibility yeah. uh, but at the same time a great insight yeah. and the ability to to um, write on that subject to, yeah. to be able to, to to tell the people in, in, you know, in my estimation or in the author's estimation, what actually does go on, I think yeah. is a wonderful privilege. And I would say to any journalist who's, you know, who might just be writing for a newspaper or websites, whatever it is, to, 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 to stamp your mark on a book, I think is, is, is such yeah. a, I mean, I, I loved writing my court confidential back in 2012, yes. yeah. which was a, a year, you know, on the ins on quotes on the inside. Yeah. And, um, you know, I saw some things that I liked and things that I didn't like, and I hope I portrayed it in the, in the way yeah. that I, I saw it. And you're yeah. true to yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, and that's what I wanted to do with an individual player. And as I say, who knows, he's still playing. So yeah, we yeah. might go back to it. Right. Great. Yeah. I've been listening. Um, I've been listening to the Jonathan Overend podcasts. I don't know if you've heard any of them. I think sports and feels. Sports in the feels. Yeah. And I mean, I was privileged to do a little bit of commentary with Jonathan over there. So, and I know yourself have done that as well. And, I absolutely, I just thought he was amazing, you know, the way that he spoke and brought brought it to life. And in, in the podcast I was actually listening to today, they were they were talking about how important it is for journalists or somebody writing a book to be there, to be in in situation, you know, and obviously during this lockdown period, people are commentating, they're doing it from their own bedrooms and it and it doesn't quite have the same impact. For those listening, for someone who's been involved in sport at such a close, close eye for so many years, why is that so important to be there rather than just picking stuff up from the TV? Well, because you you, you see the little, there you, you see the light and shade. You you you're yeah. in you're in a situation where you you pick things up. I mean, I was going to. I, I was always one of those. Um, when I'm writing about something, and uh, let's take tennis as an example, I was tended to be the first one to arrive. It was almost a kind of badge of honour for me. I, yeah, I like yeah. to get there. I like to get to, to, to stadiums early, yeah. Um, because you could walk around, you could see things maybe in practice. You might get a little hint yeah. of something. You go and have a coffee with a player. Um, you chat about various, and that was the kind of. Uh, you, you know, you they might shed a bit of light on something that you'd seen yep. the previous day, or and you could portray that in your report, mm. and that gave the the reader yep. a little bit more insight as to what yep. actually does go. They can see the match. Yep. You know, they've 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 seen Murray beats with Rinker. Uh, what yeah. you need to try and then do, especially in this day and age of of, of instantaneous reports and Twitter and what have you, yep. Instagram, was to give the reader that little something extra. Yes. Um, you brought them into the, the you brought them into the action, and that's what I always tried to do. Yeah. And I, I love doing that because I thought that to speak to players, to speak to officials, um, you know, to speak to fans, um, yeah. added a little bit more luster to to what you what would otherwise yeah. be a, probably just a dry match report, which I didn't yeah. see the point of doing. Yeah, no, it's so true. I, and and I, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time at the Grand Slams over the years, but I still have a niggle. I was, I I think the only time I man, I took my wife to send a court with an actual ticket, a fan's ticket, and it was the only time I was there as a fan when the roof came over. Um, so whatever year it was, I don't know exactly, but it was quarterfinal, men's quarterfinal day. And uh, Dimitrov against Murray and Federer against Varinka. Now, what I mean, like, what a treat, what a day. However, both matches were a disaster. And I don't know if you remember it. And I, I don't know if you were on the tennis scene at that point, Neil, or if this was you know, after your time. No, yes, I was. I'm you sure were. I was. I'm sure and, I was, yeah. And Andy was shouting at his box in the warm up. Something, something had really gone gone wrong, and I turned to to my wife and I said, "Andy loses today. I'm telling mm. you, he loses today." And she went, "Shut up! Stop being so negative." I said, "I'm telling you, he's he's in it. The place that he's in here, he is not winning this match, and he he was in this place where he almost wanted to lose. And I'm sure 
Andy Murray wanting to lose a match sounds stupid to people listening. But he wanted to prove to somebody, I don't know yes. what it was, and I'm convinced that something really big happened, whether it was an argument with somebody moments before that match, because he was strongly carrying that emotion. And then Federer played Varinka, and Varinka didn't try for two sets. He just he just completely took his his and, and in the quarter you might see that in the second round in Vienna two fifty, but on a on a quarter final day at Wimbledon, and to understand what's going on behind the scenes to cause these human beings we forget that the human beings at times yes. um, to ultimately be so affected that they were unable to give their best efforts on the day um, fascinates me. So if you ever find that out. I'll, I'll keep it confidential. Send me a text message, Neil, because I'd really like, I would love to know what happened on that day. Well, there's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind, if, if I reflect on the, the, the characters I've been very fortunate to have, to have met and interviewed and watched, um, be they coaches or, or players or managers of football clubs, I, I mean, the, 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 the most enigmatic has to be Andy, I think, um, right, okay. in, in, in so many ways, J yeah. just from... From junior to, to, I mean, he's almost now elder statesman. Yeah. I mean, I, I've missed the last five years of Andy, but I saw, you know, I was, I was courtside when he won the US Open, mm -hmm. obviously at Wimbledon as well. Um, yeah. the, 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 the first time seeing his trials and tribulations in Australia, being up close and personal at various events. Yeah. I mean, he has to be, he has to be among the most fascinating yeah. sports people of, 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 of our generation. And yep. um, it was, it was, <laughs> sometimes it wasn't fun, yeah, but, yeah. For the, but, but for the most part, I mean, he, um, you know, he, he knew who you were and he knew what you did and he knew you yeah. Yeah. and uh, it, 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 it could, it could go off sometimes. Yeah. But when he was on form, I mean, it was just an absolute joy and privilege yeah. to watch him play yeah. and write about him. I mean, how yeah. could you not uh, enjoy watching Andy? Absolutely. And how was your relationship with Andy? Um, uh, up and down, yeah. up and down. I, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I don't think any journalist who did their job properly would, would say that it was plain sailing with Andy. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it wasn't. I mean, I can, I can, if I can indulge in a story, I remember um, kind of early on in his professional career, I, everyone wanted to get the first interview. Yep. And I always used to go to Indian Wells. I loved the place. I just, yep. I, I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. Yep. In, fact, I had my, in fact, I had my honeymoon there over right, 30 okay. years ago. Wow. Um, and um, Andy was difficult to persuade to do a one-on-one -on -one interview. Yep. And finally, uh, I remember he was playing pool up in, I can see him now playing pool. And his agent at the time was Patricia Ape. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I, I said, look, come on. I, I'm here. I'm, I was the only British journalist there. I said, come yeah. on. Let's 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 sit down. Okay, so Andy said I'll do it. Yeah. So I had a I had a hire car and it was a little kind of orange thing, not very big. Yeah. And uh, so he squeezed in the back, and I drove him from the courts back to the Grand Champions. And we sat down, and he was lying. He was lying on the bed, and I was sitting, kind of almost on the veranda in a chair and we chatted away for, he, he never, he never got up. He lay on his back the whole yeah. time, you know, I'm talking about this and I'll do that. Yeah. But he was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, I said, thanks so much. And he said, um, there were a couple of times when he said that's off the record. Yeah. 
And um, one of the things that he said was that um, he, was, he was quite upset that he hadn't been named as the ATP Young Player of the Year. Yeah. I can't remember who was, but he hadn't been. Yeah. And he said at some stage, that's off the record. But, I, but there was a kind of, I listened back to the tape and I couldn't quite distinguish which part of what he was saying was off the record and which wasn't. So anyway, the, 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 I, I wrote what I thought was, and it, it, it was a smashing interview, if I say yeah. so myself. And I wrote in the piece that he was, quote, pissed off that he hadn't won the <laughs> ATP. So we, we, flew to, we, we flew to Miami and uh, there was the, the, we were at the party before the tournament there started. And uh, he was with Mark Petchy, yeah. uh, his coach at that time. And they walked in and I went, hi, Andy. And he completely blanked me, yeah. completely blanked me. Walked right past without even saying hello. Yeah. So I said, Petch said, you know what you've done, don't you? I said, no, what have I done? He said, that bit about the ATP young player that he didn't yeah. want that to go in. He's so pissed off. He's so yeah, upset. Yeah. Yeah, you're, yeah. You know, you're in the doghouse. <laughs> so I had to kind of yeah. cajole him. It took, took weeks. Yeah, yeah. Not with Andy, these things didn't, didn't mend in a day. Yeah, it yeah. took weeks for him to be comfortable again in my company because yeah. he thought I'd let him down. And that's the kind of guy that he was to deal with. He thought I'd, yeah. you know, he thought I'd messed up and yeah. he let me know about it in no uncertain yeah. terms. Yeah, no, great story. And, and I think he's, Andy, it's one of the reasons why I think he's going to be so good for British tennis. And I think we saw it this weekend at the Battle of the Brits because he's so engrossed in it. He knows the results. He knows the newspaper articles. He knows what commentators are saying about him. He lives and breathes it. So, so I think when he does stop, whereas, and I've mentioned this in a couple of podcasts, kind of Tim almost disappeared you know, Greg did a little bit, but we, we didn't have these kind of greats grab a hold of British tennis and, and, then, and then move it forward. And I think Andy will. And I know, again, if I share a quick story, and I, I remember seeing you at the two, it was 2012 US Open. And, and I was doing a little bit of commentary with Five Live. And Andy played a match against Feliciano Lopez. And it was one of his Andy matches where he just... Louis Armstrong wasn't happy to be playing on Louis Armstrong. You know, yeah. how Feliciano didn't win the match, I don't know. He had every possible chance. And Andy was just on at his box, on at his box. And commentating, again, kind of being a peer of Andy, you know, towards the end of my career was the start of his career. I really felt the pressure of how I'm supposed to talk about this, you know, because... All, all, all of a sudden, oh, Andy Keno was saying this about you on Five Live. You know, there's going to be there's going to be a conversation coming my way, and and I tried to do it diplomatically, but in the end, I had to say, look, Andy's really not, you know, how he should be today. You know, this is kind of unacceptable the way that he's speaking to his box and how he is, and he's a bit fortunate to get through this match. I walked out the studio, and I bumped into Petch. And I, I said to Petch, poor, that was difficult watching. And Petch said, that was one of the best matches I've ever seen. That was amazing. How well did Andy do to come through that match? And, and I guess this is one of the other beauties of sport. Our, our, our view of that match was completely different. You yeah. know, my, my, my view was Feliciano didn't have the balls to finish it off. You know, had every opportunity to. Andy put himself in a, in a big hole. 
didn't really behave very well. Whereas in the next studio, you've got another, you know, I, I respect and I think Petra's amazing at what he does. Um, he, his view was that Andy had done incredibly well. Um, but yeah, it's, we could talk about Andy Murray for two or three hours because we certainly, we certainly, and the stories are coming. You know, as 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 you're speaking and as I'm yeah. thinking back, the 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 amount. I mean, the, the the amount of things that happened to him and with him. Yeah, I'm just speaking now as as, as almost press conferences yeah, yeah. and media interviews. That there there's there's enough there to fill a. Yeah, you know, a, a compendium. Yeah, but I'm really pleased everybody knows the real Andy Murray now because I think for a, yes. long, a long time they didn't, you know, and he came across as a as a bit of a whingy Scotsman who didn't. But his sense of humour is amazing. He's fantastic. You know, he's a very kind man, and I'm pleased that that's now coming out. Yeah, no, he's um. I remember he wrote a book when he was 19, which was the most stupid. I remember saying to him, "What are you doing?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was called Hitting Back. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, well, who are you hitting back at? Yeah, yeah. Why? Why would you yeah. even consider doing a book at 19? You've, you've barely lived. Yeah, absolutely. And immediately it felt like he was, he was at that, that angry young Scotsman. Yeah, yeah. For what reason? Uh, yeah. And, but slowly but surely, we, we, I think we played a, you know, if I can say so, a few journalists yeah. gently persuaded him that we, you know, we weren't dragons. Um, yeah, yeah. We knew a little bit about things, and if he only took us into his confidence and trusted us, I, yeah. I, I thought the the, yeah. um, the situation would improve. And to be fair, he did, and we did, and he's you know he's 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 been a remarkable yeah. champion, absolutely, absolutely remarkable. And and I uh, the last thing on Andy, 2013 Wimbledon, you were you were in the press box, I, I believe, when he won. I was. Give, give us your take on his celebration. Well. This this might appear arrogant, and I and I'm not, and I don't want to be. But when he turned to the box, I remember there was a Portuguese writer sitting in front of me, Miguel Siabra, and Andy went with his with his two fists, and he was staring me in the eye. Yeah. Because I think he thought of me as kind of the you know the old man. I'd seen it all. Yeah. And Miguel said he was looking right at you. Yeah, yeah. And you shouldn't do it. And if dear old John Parsons and one or two of my other old contemporaries were still alive, they'd have shot me. But I, I pumped my fist back. I couldn't stop myself. Yeah, yeah. And you, it's not the decorum thing to do at the All England Club. The press, yeah. the press should just sit there and make sure their tie's on straight. Yeah. And it's the right colour. Um, but I couldn't stop myself. I mean, I, I just felt for him to, to succeed in doing that uh, with all the pressure. And that, I remember when we sat down and talked about it afterwards, and I did write that very quick book about his success. Yeah. Him talking through that last game yeah. was really, you know, such an emotional feeling. I remember yeah. him saying he looked down at his hand when he went to serve, and it, his hand was shaking, and yeah. he could never remember that ever happened to him. Ever happening to him? Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was just. I, I think the only thing that I, I can't actually think of anything that I've covered in terms of because um, I didn't see England in football win anything. Yeah. Uh, it, it was it was up there, to, you know, top two or three of the, the, the greatest things I've ever seen. Yeah, what a memory for you to have that. Amazing. Have that Absolutely there. amazing. We all remember where we were on that day. We do. Um, to, to drag you back a bit, Neil, it, it also fascinates me how 
someone like yourself who's had a life in sport, you know, when you were growing up, what was your sport? How, how big was sport in your life? What kind of role did sport play for you growing up? Well, I, I'm from Southend, uh, yep. which is the same as, as the Lloyd family. Yep. So when I was on my, my local paper, um, I started at 16, in fact, on the Evening Echo, okay. essentially covering football, but it was, it was um, junior leagues and um, sen- Essex Senior League, and I got the opportunity occasionally to write about Southend United, which was my team, obviously. Yep. Uh, great privilege. Um, and, and you'd diversify, a little bit of cricket, a little bit of tennis, Yep. Um, and the Lloyds were well, and still are big, big yeah. names certainly in 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 a, in a little t- well, not a little town, but in a town the size of South End. Yep. To have a family like that was was quite was quite immense. So I used to write the occasional piece on tennis. Yep. Um, but my, you know, my background was I was a fan of South End. I yep. I, I I happened to um, I got the job on the local paper. I saw an ad in the um, in our weekly, the South End Standard. And the, the task was to write a 500-word report on match of the day right. and send it in to the, to the editor. And um, from that process, I got the job, which was right. absolutely extraordinary for me. Yeah. Um, did all the usual young journalist things, took all the exams, uh, shorthand and law and public administration, those kind of yeah. things. But sport was always my thing. I mean, I yeah. loved to play. Yeah. I, I dabbled at everything and wasn't really very good at most things. Um, and writing, I fell in love with newspapers. I used to work for a news agent. The smell yeah. of the paper, I, I found the smell yeah. of the newspaper when it landed was uh, yeah. intoxicating. Yeah. Um, and newspapers became the thing I really wanted to get involved in. And yeah. there I was on my local paper, you know, writing about the things I love to I love to do as a young as a kid really when yeah, I think yeah. about it 16 yeah. 17 covering a professional amazing. team yeah. amazing amazing really yeah. um, so, so it was sport it was always sports journalism and it was yeah you had to you had to cover your you you had to, to, to pass your exams yeah. you had to cover things like parish councils yeah and you had to do the fire and the police calls and uh, you know there there were times if if the news desk was understaffed, you'd go out and do and do news stories, you know, car, yeah. all the sorts of things you would do to play at South End, you know, the mods and rockers and car accidents, you know, whatever yeah. was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, but ostensibly, uh, eleven months out of twelve, I was writing about sport. Great. And then, it, how did it end up in Birmingham then? Well, in 1977, um, the Echo won the sports pages of the year award right, for okay. local newspapers which was design more than content although i think yeah. the two came went hand in hand and we went to a, an awards lunch up in in london and i always remember it, it was one of the one of the uh, the voting on on the panel of judges was the head of sport of the birmingham post and mail okay. who i happened to have in, com- in conversation with and i yeah, you get a bit of bravado maybe after a couple of gnts and i said well if yeah. um if ever you're looking for a young you know i'd, yeah. I'd and within, oh gosh, six months, uh, a space opened up and he rang me and said, would I come for an interview? Uh, and I got the job. So Fantastic. it was, you know, young, young, young kid leaves Southend and goes, yeah. and goes and lives in Birmingham, which at that time, it was, it was almost all football. Yeah. Um, and Aston Villa, Birmingham City, West Brom, yeah. Wolves, Coventry they were all in the old first division yeah, yeah. so it was a massive massive evening paper yeah. that sold an awful lot of copies and you were right in it yeah. day in day out I mean it was relentless stuff but for a young once again for a young kid 
from from down south it was yeah, just yeah. extraordinary to to end up in a big city like Birmingham covering the teams that that were up there because at this point whether the listeners are interested or not I'll get crucified if I don't ask this question because my wife's family are all from Birmingham right. so 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 how long were you working for the evening mail it's, it's I, I lived in Birmingham for a few years and very familiar with it as well my wife um was a is a broadcast journalist you know she worked for the radio stations in Birmingham so there's there's lots of Birmingham connections Great there stuff. in the, in the yeah. journalist world so yeah so how, how long were you in Birmingham 1978 to 1981 right okay I yeah. left I left Birmingham the year that Aston Villa won the European Cup okay of course so yeah so but I was uh, I, when I first went up there I was the Albion man Right. So that was a great, you know, we had Cyril Regis, Laurie Cunningham, Brendan Batson, yeah. the, the fantastic team of that period. Yeah. Then I became the Birmingham City man and, you know, Frank, Frank Worthington, Archie Gemmell, Colin Todd, Mark Dennis, Jim Smith was the manager. Right. Yeah. Just great, great times. Um, and uh, I, I loved it. Yeah. You know, once again, sing, single man in a big city, what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Broad Street was Broad Street around. Broad Street, st- yeah. Broad yeah, Street. I, in fact, the first week, I, the first week I stayed there, they put me up in a hotel on New Street, right, right, okay. opposite, right opposite the uh, the railway station. Yeah, yeah. And um, great, I, I loved every minute of it. I've loved great. every minute of it. And then, so now you moved moved to the Daily Mail. I did to Manchester in the north, the northern right, office. Okay, okay. Um, I mean, in, in those days, there was a northern edition um, yeah. that was. It took all the stuff from London, but obviously everything was was Manchester based. So yeah. you took in from Stoke, all the way to the north of Scotland. Right. Um, okay. But my patch was was Manchester and the surrounds. So I did yeah. a lot of Burnley and Blackburn and Bolton yeah. and Bury, Stockport, those yeah. kind of things. And, and of course the chance to do Manchester United and Manchester City, which was just in those days, Big Ron was the, yeah. the manager of, of uh, United and then John Bond followed by Billy McNeil at, um, at Manchester City. So it was, it was once again, I, I, I loved, I, I think that was, if I can, Probably my favourite time in, in all of journalism. Right, okay. The 1980s covering football in Manchester. Yeah. A huge, you know, obviously a huge city. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. Amazing. So how how did you go from football to tennis? Well, in 1982, um, the a note came round from the sports editor in London, Tom Clark, who said we need to find someone who would like to do some tennis in the summer because we had a correspondent, Laurie Pignon, who I'm sure you remember, great old yep. character. Yep. Um, and John Roberts was our feature writer. Ian Waldridge would come to the, the, the tournament as well. But what they needed was someone who would kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah. The big guys had their big, um, you know, their big panoply and there was, they needed someone who would go and do court 12 or court, and I put my hand yeah. up. I said, well, I've done a bit of tennis. Yeah. I'd love to go down. So I, my remit was I covered the old Beckenham tournament, the Kentish yeah. Times. I went to Birmingham to do the ladies yeah. uh, and then Bristol yeah. to do the, the men's event. Um, there at the old Redlands club. Yeah. Great tournament. Great tournament. Great tournament. I remember Mark Edmondson winning it one year, uh, and jo- Johan Creek always played well there in my in my time. We and made me and David Sherwood the last ever. I remember David Sherwood very well. <laughs> so it became a challenger there. 
it, right. it, it became a challenger, a big challenger. The last ever event they had there, we we actually lost in the final um, to Nicholas Mahout and to Julian Benito. And Good we team. Had, yeah, Good and we team. Had, and we had match points. We lost. Oh. Eight, we lost eight six in the third set tiebreak. And we had wins over David Prinisall that week. We had uh, wins over Johnny Murray and Mark Hilton. We had a we had a fantastic week. But it was a, it's it's still probably the favourite tournament. I've taken you off your stride, Neil. But it no, no, it's great. Such great it. memories. Yeah. Well, once memories again, tournament. yeah. Um, where did, who did I see winning the? I think I saw Mark Hilton win an improbable match there once. He might have been playing Ivo Karlovic. Yeah, yeah, that'll be right. And those yeah. f- five foot three against six <laughs> yeah. foot nine, and uh, yeah. Hilt's won. Yeah, um, just, yeah, I, just matches like that. And then yeah. I would spend two weeks at Wimbledon. Yeah, back in the old days, um, obviously with the old court one, um, the press, the press room that the Brits the Brits were on their own in a, in a, in a long kind of thin, thin room. There'd be 40 bodies, 20 on either side of a long table. The international media were in effectively what was the press restaurant. It used to get very boisterous in the evenings, sing songs and uh, too much alcohol taken. Um, But once again, treasured memories. And uh, I remember uh, especially one time during that period, which was between 1982 and 1986, uh, there was a, a, a one one night. There was a week, Neil. You got to get out to court. I think it was three, two or three. I said, "There's something out there you got to see," and it was Anne White. You remember okay. Anne White playing in her full in. white body yeah. body stocking? Okay. And of course, it was the, the Daily Mail had had a picture of her on the front. I think that was my first ever front page byline on the right, mail. Okay. Was 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 Anne White appearing in this this white one piece stunning white outfit? Right. It was blonde. Everything was white, obviously yeah. considering the. Yeah. And it was just you went wow. I want yeah, to cover yeah. a bit. I want to cover a bit more of this sport. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. And how apart from apart from the obvious, like you've just said, how how different was it covering tennis to covering football? Um. Well, I. I don't think your procedures differed at all. You, you yeah. know, you, 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 you covered it the way you hoped it should be covered. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the, the one against one element as opposed to team sports, the, the, the days were much longer yeah. um, because, of, you know, a football match is 90 minutes and you've come and you've gone. Yeah. Um, it, I, it was interesting because Laurie, who was the old correspondent, um, had was... Was a sh- couldn't spell to save his life. Shocking. And um, he used to give me his copy to read over to the copy takers. Yep. So you'd go into a little room where they had booths and you'd, the Daily Mail had its name on one. Yep. And you'd go under the little booth and you'd go on the phone. And then the copy taker would come on and you'd say, this is Pinion Tennis from Wimbledon. And you'd look at his copy and I could, you couldn't make blooming head and the tail of it. So you, had, you, you kind of half made it up and half. Uh, he was a terrible speller. Yeah. Um, but his, his stuff was, was pro. It was lyrical yeah. prose. Yeah. Um, and it, it, but so those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. You had to think on your feet. Um, but at the end, it, it was just tremendous. It was yeah. just tremendous. It seems, it seems so outdated now, thinking about how yeah, yeah. you... you you send copy these days, you just press a button and the, and the computer does the rest. And you actually had to physically stand there on the phone and read, read the stuff out. It's amazing, but, huh? But you, 
you know, that was the way it was. No one knew yeah, yeah. the future, so you, you, did, you did what you did. And as I say, at the end of a long, long day, we'd all sort of relax and have a beer or two. I used to stay at the old Richmond Gate yeah. Hotel, the other side of Richmond Park, which yeah. was open all hours as well. Yeah. It, was, it was just it was wonderful, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, it, 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 I did begin to fall in love with tennis, to be perfectly honest with you, Dan. Yeah. And, and then you, you ended up going to the Telegraph as, as well, the no, tennis... Well, I no, was, I was the male correspondent. So you were the male correspondent for Tennis First. Okay. I was. In 1986, yeah. uh, Laurie, Laurie retired. And um, there was a brief hiatus when some um, a guy named Malcolm Foley got the job, and then he moved, okay. and they appointed me. Um, okay. In fact, I was I was at the uh, the um, I was at the U.S. Open in 1986 on a right. kind of freelance basis, and I got a call from um, uh, the, the sports desk at the mail saying, "When you get back, you need to come and see us. We want to, you know the job's <coughs> yours." Yeah. So from 1986 to 1990, I was the um, I was the, the Daily Mail's tennis correspondent, and in 1990 I was appointed as the football correspondent. Okay. Which so I did you, from 90 to 98. Oh wow! So you went into tennis, then then out to football, and then back into tennis. That's correct. Yeah. Exactly so you right. so you've done it all. Well, I mean that that period of time, obviously 1990 to. Um, the 90s in football was just extraordinary. I mean, it was the, the evolution of the Premier League, uh, yeah. Manchester United suddenly emerging as, as, the, as the great force of the game. England under Graham Taylor first, and then Terry Venables, Euro 96, the US, the US um, World Cup of 1994. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was, I was the, the, the correspondent. So wow. I had an absolutely extraordinary time um, covering covering football at the sharp end. Yeah, I mean, once again, very lucky. Eight tremendously fulfilling yep. years, um, which ended at the World Cup in 1998. With uh, I, 1998, another short story to kind of connect the two. Really, I was playing the juniors at Wimbledon, and and I and I'd qualified. And I was playing against, I think, the eighth seed in the first round main draw. And it was the night that England played Argentina. Right. The Beckham night. It was the Beckham night. And, yes. and I'm playing and I'm on the back courts, the clock side, the clock side of Wimbledon. Yeah. And I know I'm very aware of football. And I'm a big football fan. I know exactly what time England are kicking off. <laughs> and, and I find myself five all in the third set and the marquees behind full of champagne and pims from the day are going crazy absolutely yeah. crazy and to the point where i knew england had scored but it was the michael Owen goal it was the it was the run that he'd done you know and, yeah yeah and, yeah. and, I, and i'm embarrassed to say but at six all in the third i lost my serve and i'm telling you right now to 15 my mind was nowhere near my match at Wimbledon. I could just, I could, all I could picture was every, everyone was going mad. Um, and, and maybe it's why I wasn't as successful as I maybe could have been because my mind definitely went to that football match. I ran off the court, lost eight, six in the third. 
and I ran to the marquees to try and find out what was happening. And obviously the David Beckham kick was kind of happening around about that time. So not only did I lose at Wimbledon that day, but then I had the heartache of watching England lose another another massive match as well. Wow. You can only control the controllables. <laughs> well, I've learned that over the years from many, from many mistakes, Neil. You know, yes, this I, is, absolutely. <laughs> this is absolutely. all... This is not something that I knew in my younger years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I understand entirely, Dan. If only someone had, uh, had told me. So over the, over the 30 years or so that you've been around tennis, you know, in, in and out, what do you think, what do you see as the biggest changes that happened through that time for you in the game and around the game? Oh, that's an, that's an interesting one. Um, because it, it, it didn't, when I think of, and I'm trying to think back now, it didn't. It hasn't changed an awful lot. Um, I mean, they're, they're trying to be innovative now, from what I from what I can see, yeah. and people are resisting. Yeah. I, I mean, to my mind, the, the the greatness of tennis was the was the great matches, and the great matches tended to be the the, the five set matches in Grand Slams. Yeah. And occasionally, when um, you know, back in the early two two thousands, when they, they they played five set finals in in the in the masters uh yeah. i mean when i when i think when i think back probably i mean you might have been going on to ask me this dan but one of the greatest matches i ever saw was a five set final in rome between nadal and, and federer right okay. i'm going to guess it was about 2005 2006 yeah. and yeah. nadal won it in the fifth um yeah. something like that would have had to have been seven six because it was yeah. tie breaks, of course. But j j just tennis of the most incredible, yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the most incredible level. I mean, I, I always loved to watch clay court tennis. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found it mesmerizing. Mm, it is, um, yeah. Hard court was fine. Grass was fine. I mean, you you obviously had to like grass court tennis because of Wimbledon. But I, I found I used to love going to the French. Yeah, yeah. Um, you couldn't drag me away. Well, you could later on, but it was yeah, just yeah. one of those places where I couldn't get enough of the tennis there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ch changes have have. I mean, you probably know more. That have there haven't been that many, have there? I mean, the tie breaks obviously came, but that was quite a while back. Yeah. Um, they've. They, Game they styles, won. I think. I guess game styles have changed. Well, this, uh, yes. I mean, the, the the courts at Wimbledon, ha having slowed down, yeah, you know, ma made the, um, the 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 wonderful Goran Ivanisevic winning, Pete yeah. Sampras having that remarkable spell when he was just yeah. you know so dominant. Um, the slowing down of the courts, I, I think, probably had a slightly detrimental yeah. effect on the championships. It made yeah. it it made it too similar. If the one yeah. the one thing I I suppose you could say was that they became a little bit samey. Yeah, yeah. The Grand Slams. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. enough to distinguish one from the other. And yeah. Wimbledon, while I understood why they did it, because they were fearful that matches were getting over so quickly that people were, you know. I don't want to watch this wham bam yeah. thank you ma'am kind of tennis. Yeah, I, I think they probably went too far the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd go with that. Understandably, as I say, understandably so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, had they not, wouldn't Nadal have won it as many times as he had? And with Djokovic, probably not. Yeah, yeah. Um, but start styles. I mean, the, obviously there was there was a lot, a lot more backcourt play. I mean, I did miss. 
the, the rivalries, the, 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 the different styles, I mean, Navratilova against Evert, yeah. or Navratilova against Graf, yeah, yeah. to my mind, were just beauty to, to yeah, behold, yeah. The, yeah. Con, the, the contrast. Absolutely. You didn't, you didn't I mean, th then there was, I mean, Becker and Edberg kind of played the same, yeah. but even so, it was who could get to the net first, who would be stronger from the back of the court, who would yeah. come and play a sublime, play a sublime volley. Yeah. Um, so I suppose I suppose the, the one thing I the one thing that I think has has been lost is is those contrasting styles. Yeah, yeah. Where have the serve and volley has gone? Yeah. You know, who would even yeah. who would even try and base a game plan on that anymore? Yeah. Probably not yeah. very many. And I think that's why everyone loves Nadal Federer as well, isn't it? I think it's and 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 also not that it's necessarily a a rivalry to be talked about in the same breath, but I also think that's why people love Kyrgios Nadal, <laughs> which yes. because it's it is that kind of love hate, and it's that you know the the routine guy to the guy who's not routine, the big server to the returner, you know the good guy to the bad guy. People like the contrasts, and and it's it's where you can put your hat. I'm going to put my hat on this guy because that represents what I like. And I'm going to put my hat on this guy. My concern is when Federer goes in the men's game that it is going to become a little bit samey. Yeah, I mean, he is just, you know, he, he brought a new dimension to, to, to yeah. everything. He's, he's just sublime. Um, you know, thinking back to, to silly things like uh, in, in 1998, I actually wrote in the Sunday Telegraph, there's a young kid from, from Switzerland yeah. who I actually think could be... Um, could be quite. And I, 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 I did a who, who, who's to watch or ones to watch, and in the yeah. same piece, I, I, I did Roger Federer and Alicia Mollick. And Alicia has always always said to me when I go go down, thanks very much, Neil, for mentioning <laughs> me in the same breath as, as Roger Federer. She she, tre yeah. she treasured that. Yeah. Um, the one thing I would say, Dan, is that I felt was slightly um, disappointing was that too many people, to my mind, were either Federer or Nadal. And couldn't really see the the glory in the other one. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I did find that a little disturbing. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Djokovic has kind of almost exacerbated that because yeah. the, the 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 somewhat loathing of of Novak, I yeah. I have found particularly yeah. sad because yeah. you know he 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 came in and rustled a few feathers and obviously got in the Absolutely. way of this this Federer and Nadal yeah. we're going to we're going to win every grand slam for the next 10 years yeah. and um people didn't like it and didn't yeah. like his attitude didn't like yeah. him for some reason yeah. i always found novak to be the most approachable decent yeah. he has his wacky ideas but yeah. I, I i just think there was there was too much of i'm federer i'm nadal yeah. And I don't see the, I don't quite see the other side. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you had to, you had to give them both enormous credit for, for the, the great talents they are. Absolutely. And, and on that, as you bring up Novak and, you know, I, I know that I've seen lots over the years about you having coffee with Stan, you know, and these, yes. you know, who, who, who were your relationships with globally and, and what stories can you share with us? Um, well, Dare I say, I think I got on with most people pretty well. Um, yeah. I think it was because I, I made it one of my uh, imperatives to get to know them, yeah. to get to know the people around them, to introduce myself to them. So I wasn't just an anonymous figure yeah. who wrote about them. Yeah. I, 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 I made it my, my duty almost to, to, to bef 
befriend them is, is probably going exaggerate because you always had to retain the sense of, well, this guy might have an absolute or girl might yeah. have a horrible match and I can't just ignore it because I'm a, I like them very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a kind of fine line there between professional duty, but at the same yeah. time, if you did get to know them, they might just tip you the wink on something. And, and, and Stan and I, we hit it off. I don't know why. Uh, I, yeah. It's funny because the, I think it was the year that he played Andy on centre court and it turned out to be the first match under the roof. Right, yeah. Am I right? I, I, there's something I in did, my back of my yeah, mind. Yeah, maybe. Stan, I, I was not Bagdatis that he played under the roof. Mm, yeah, well, it might have. Anyway, but Stan was due to play Andy at Wimbledon. Yeah. Uh, in, on, on, a, on, a, on a Monday. And I went to see him on the Sunday at the club. And I remember he, he came and sat on one of those wicker chairs with the... Um, the, the fabric and he fell through the chair as we were as I was interviewing him and the cameraman and the, the photographer you know burst out laughing and Stan did the same and I thought you haven't you haven't hurt you haven't injured yourself I, I haven't put a you know I haven't put a curse on you and for some reason from that moment on we just hit it off I mean one right. of the happiest days of my my writing career was when he won the Australian Open mm. um, for the first time his first Grand Slam yeah because I, I just thought he was a he well not was is just a yeah. wonderful player and a wonderful character and, and, and yeah. understated and underrated. Yeah. Um, uh, just played a, played beautifully. I mean, yeah. people might say that Roger Federer's backhand and Stefan Edberg's backhand were the, but I think Vavrinka's is, 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 is heaven sent. I mean, it was just magnificent to see the way he played. It's, it's the only backhand, I believe. It's the only single-handed backhand or maybe even double-handed backhand that can do what a forehand can do. So, so yeah. the, it's almost like his ability to. The great thing about a forehand is you can you can freeze anticipation of your opponent. You know that's what why people love they run around their forehand and you can actually almost hold you can almost hold the ball and then you can have the power or the spin to be able to send it either way. And and Varinka has that this capability on his backhand to just he can just hit winner after winner after winner. I mean, from from any part of the court, people don't know where he's going. You know, we we talk about a lot in at the academy that often your backhand is your shield and your forehand is your sword, <laughs> whereas Varinka's got two swords. And, yeah, and, that's, and, that's very true. That is very true. And, that is very true. And, and he, I, I genuinely believe he's he's the one male player in the world that probably if they're all at their very, very, very best, he's possibly the best. <laughs> he just doesn't happen that frequently, you know? Yeah, I mean, just a, jo a joy to watch. A, a tremendous guy. Um, yeah. I, 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 just, I just loved his company. And, and yeah. we, we, you know, we, we'd, make a, we'd make a bit of a laugh about having a coffee together. Um, but we did, and we chatted, yeah. and it was off the record. There was no, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to suddenly run run from what he said and run upstairs yeah. and write a story. That wasn't the way the relationship yeah. evolved. I mean, yeah. on the women on the women's side, I, I was in my my younger days pr pretty close to Martina, uh, yeah. and as time evolved, to Maria and to Victoria Azarenka. Okay, great. Um, you know, if if I if I asked Serena for an interview, um, nine times out of 10, she granted it, okay. um, which was, you know, different in a, in a sense yeah. because she wasn't always tremendously accommodating, but I, yeah. I, I found her terrific. I mean, I was very lucky. I, I just yeah. think I, 
maybe it was my personality that I hit it off with. I hit it yeah. off with players, um, yeah. but that that was in a sense I think one of my strengths. And they were comfortable in if a, if a, if a, if a player is comfortable in a journalist's presence, they tend to tell them things. Uh, and I'll say, well, do you mind me using that? No, yeah. go ahead. And that was yeah. the, the, the fundamental basis on which I worked. Yeah. What makes Serena Williams tick? Uh, I, you know, that's, that's a very, very good question. Um, uh, I mean, she, she, I don't know. I, I think there's a, there is a sense of, of me against the world. Yeah. Um, and and Venus Venus the same, um, w w without a doubt. I mean, yeah. they they um, they they used what they perceived was um, a sort of a racial element against them to yeah. their strength. Yes, um, and you know, all power all power to them. I mean, they, yeah. they were they were they are tremendous athletes. Uh, I mean, I I sometimes you you it's it's remarkable when you think about it i mean yeah. if, if it serena you know she's blessed with a physique that no other single women player i've ever seen no. was blessed with, with with that but you could you could look at her and say well how does she move around the court as well yeah, as she yeah. does yeah, yeah it's quite extraordinary but yeah. timing power yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the the frightening element of of actually being, being on the other end of the the other end of the court and thinking, how am I actually going to beat this person? Yeah, yeah. That there was that there was that there was that to her as well. Yeah. Extraordinary, an extraordinary record. Um, sometimes she could be a bit dismissive of people yeah. and and of journalists, yeah. but when she was when she was in the mood to be warm, I found her as warm as anyone I'd ever spoken to. Yeah. Uh, and would would be very gracious and 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 chat and talk about yeah. things you hadn't expected. I, once again, I was I was quite lucky yeah. that um, if I asked, uh, you know, as I think I said, nine times out of ten, I, I'd be granted the interview. And and I think just a, a one on Serena, where, where I think it's really interesting and it's great to get your insights into it, Neil. Whatever fire was burning to win the twenty three Grand Slams, I believe that she's won she needs to find something that's going to help her get to the 24th because it, it, it feels to me that she wants to be this now mother who to show the world that our moms can succeed and they can, they can win grand slams and we can be super moms. And it almost feels like the weight of that has actually led her to a place where her last five or six grand slam finals we let's make no bones about it. She's choked. She's yes, the she occasions got to her. Yeah, I, I, and of course th this this pandemic hasn't helped because yeah. there's there's no stopping the time clock. Um, yeah. As as time goes by, she's she's getting she's getting as old older as we all are, yeah. and it's going to make it that much more difficult to, for someone like her at what what age she will be when whenever we get back Absolutely. to some sense of normality yeah. um, to actually and has she got has she got that fire and passion to do it i i, I don't know um, yeah. it would be it would be extraordinary if if she could um, yeah. uh, but at the at the same time of course there's there are those from a, from a sort of an, an elderly vintage who remember as i do margaret court in her pomp and whatever yeah things she may or may not have said in in the last few years 
uh, you know, in, in, in her capacity as, as, yeah. as, a, as a pastor in, the, um, in Australia. She was a magnificent sports person. Yeah. I mean, tremendously strong, fantastic yeah. tennis game. And there will be those who, who hope that she keeps it. Um, yeah. But at the same time, Serena is, uh, is, a, is a devastatingly strong athlete. But, but when will we get back? Dan, that's the thing. When, when when will the sport return to anything like what what it what it was? And when yeah. will competition be fired up again? Yeah. Uh, and when we'll see who is the strongest? No, absolutely. It's 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 a it's an interesting one, and it's one we're all waiting in the game to game to see because exactly we're all led from that side. So so Neil, now you know we've talked about thirty years, thirty five amazing years. I've I've always been told we're we're two mistakes away from our life turning on its head. I believe yours was one mistake. Well, um, there was probably more than one, but certainly that it was it was uh, you know a, an error that encapsulated more than one error. Yes. Yeah. And so so 2014. Just for for the listeners who don't know the story. Um, your whole world fell apart over plagiarism, the, the Wimbledon annual that you, you always wrote. Um, tell us about that time. Uh, well, I, as you can imagine, I remember it vividly. Uh, yeah. I was, um, I just come back from Indian Wells and I got a call from the All England Club saying, would I come down to discuss the 2014 championships? Yeah. And I'd done, the, I'd done the annual for 10 years yeah. And I was actually going to say to them, well, look, I think 10 years is enough. Uh, let's yeah. let, let someone else do it. Yeah. Um, and I was invited into the room, the office of Mick Desmond, who's now the head of media, I think, and marketing at the All England. Yeah. And it, sitting in there was Richard Lewis, the chief executive. So I thought, well, that's nice to see you. And he had, he had a couple of annuals on his knee. Yeah. And he, he opened one and he said... Um, you 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 said this in the 2013 annual and here is what the guardian said that day yeah. and it was you know more or less word for word yeah. and i said well didn't i attribute that to the guardian and he said no yeah i said oh that's a that's a terrible mistake you know i shouldn't have, i shouldn't have done that and he read another one which was yeah. in another paper anyway so i i realized that i had i had erred to yeah. quite to the extent in which I had, I, I didn't realize. Yeah. I mean, I, I, made the, I made the point of uh, when, well, I thought I'd made the point of when I did quote somebody or a piece from somebody, I actually said, said Simon Barnes in the Times or said Paul Hayward in the Telegraph or yeah. said Kevin Mitchell in the, in the Guardian. And yeah. obviously there, you know, and it's not an excuse, but again, against yeah. the time clock, yeah. I, I'd been a bit, care, I'd been more than careless. Yeah. So um, I phoned my office driving home um, that day and I said, look, I think I'm in a bit of trouble here because yeah. I've clearly made some mistakes and taken people's work and yeah. used it without acknowledging it was their work. Yeah. So it was okay. Well, let's try and, you know, let's have a conversation. And yeah. I had a conversation with Phil Brook, the chairman, and I said, he said, you haven't done this before. I said, well, I don't think so, but I can't be 100% sure. Um, I, I don't think so. Anyway, um, to cut a long story short, I obviously had it. It, it was it was a race doing the doing the doing the um, the annual was a bit of a race against time. They wanted it yeah. quickly. I, I'd been care I'd been terribly careless, yeah. not maliciously, but yeah. I'd obviously put things in that I because what I did the day I left Wimbledon, I used to leave with a huge sheaf of, of reports and a huge sheaf of quotes 
you know, the, the quote sheets and tapping away, you know, on, on the second Tuesday, so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so happened. I, yeah. I, you know, I, rather than use my own words, I'd use other people's words yeah. to describe certain matches that I hadn't seen. Yeah. And that was the, that was the basic premise. And, um, it, it, it got horribly out of hand and, um, there were stories, you know, private I wrote a story. There were stories in the Washington Post. I mean, it was wow. just, it was just out uh, to my mind. Yeah, yeah. It, it could easily have been um, sorted out between friends. Anyway, yeah. there was an investigation. Um, Wimbledon said they weren't going to accredit me, accredit me for the 2015 championships, and the time sacked me. So that was that. And did you feel? hard done by at that point and well i was so i was so um heartbroken i don't yeah. think i knew what to do um yeah. to be perfectly honest. i mean i was 57 years of age i'd yeah. i'd been the times correspondent for 12 years i thought i'd given them tremendous service yeah. and there wasn't there wasn't a single acknowledgement of anything that i'd done i you know normally when a, when someone like a correspondent of such longevity leaves there's a there's a, there's a going away party nothing yeah. not a not a letter wow. not a note not a not a word from anybody i was just completely swept under the carpet um yesterday's man uh i mean i'd made i had made mistakes i admitted that yeah. i'd made mistakes yeah. um but i i found the um the just sort of wiping away of me as a as a as an individual quite quite disturbing um yeah. but that was the way it was uh, you you make mistakes it, it, it's uh, I, as i say it wasn't a deliberate error i didn't go out of my way so i'll pinch this and i'll pinch that yeah. but i had done so yeah. i had to i had to hold my hands up but i just found the 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 mean the manner in which it was done to be to be quite sickening to be honest and on reflection do you think that they'd been for some reason waiting to do that for a while do you think it was like any excuse to get rid of them now you know it, it, or do you think you know what what do you actually think was got was oh going no i don't think there? there was anything like that i mean it was quite in, in fact during the week of queens of that year 2014 the editor the editor had thrown a party at his house yeah. and i was invited to it as the only sports writer there Okay. So I don't think there was any, you know, let's get rid of Harmon. He's, yeah. I mean, I, I was well established. I, you know, I'd had a long time doing it. I would yeah. happily have carried on. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I almost found the All England Club stance on it almost as troubling as, as the Times is. Yeah. It, it, I'd let them down. Um, yeah. And they don't like people who let them down. Yeah. So one, it, was, it was once they said, I wouldn't be welcome back at the 2015 championships. That gave the Times yeah. the, you know, the opportunity to say goodbye. And, yeah. uh, uh, but it was just that it was just that that there was no recognition at all yeah. uh, of anything that I'd done for them uh, in, in over 12 years. When yeah. I think I think arrogance aside, I'd lifted their tennis coverage to to, sit, yeah. to you know to to a place it it, it hadn't been Absolutely. before. And and how long was that taken to get over? Um, it, it it took it took quite some time to be honest. I, yeah. I think it, you know there's you, you flounder. You don't because yeah. you know your journalist is not equipped to do anything apart from journalism. 
you know, you're, I, I, could, could I go and swept this? Could I go and swept the streets? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm to DIY what, um, you know, yeah. uh, I, I just, I just didn't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, you've, you know, one or two rallied round. Yeah. Not, not journalists, but but people in in sport and people that I knew, my friends. Yeah. Um, I, I tried one or two other ventures that didn't quite work out, and then I stumbled upon a book a book idea which I did with Harry Findlay, the Gambler. Okay. Um, which was a real kind of got me going again. Yeah. You know, once your juices get going and you get into something, and as yeah. I say, then this this last year has been uh, you know a year that has really um, you know. G- given me a kind of second lease of life in a sense yeah. because it's just boosted my enthusiasm my drive yeah. uh, and and here i am at the end of it thinking what's the next one what what's the yeah, next yeah. book i'm going to write yeah and it's good it's great to see that i mean i again i touched on this off air neil i actually think i saw you one year maybe two or three years years ago at the Boodles Boodles event yes. at yeah, Stoke yeah. Park. So I, I've seen you maybe once or twice, but I've picked up a lot from you over the years and it's over the last four, five, six years and understandably so. I didn't know the, all the details. It's none of my business to, to have jumped into any of that or judge anybody on anything. But I've seen that this has massively affected you. You know, you've talked, you know, quite openly uh, about your, your desire and your want to be out there and how difficult that is to take. Um, and, and I really do hope that now that you've got this fresh lease of life doing what you're doing, and it's great to hear that the passion's restored. I, I hope that this podcast can go a little way into, into anybody in the tennis world, the journalist world, that, you know, they can see, you know, what a great guy you are, what amazing experience you have. And ultimately, we all make mistakes. We all we all make mistakes in life. We we don't deserve to be crucified for those for those mistakes that we do make. You know, we 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 reflect, we learn, and we move on. Um, do you do you you've touched on it there? But the journalistic world and and the tennis world, if if you had support within within that, or it's kind of been just the, the cords being cut. Um. Yeah, the cords being cut. Okay. Uh, I, I would say there are probably half a dozen very good mates yeah. who who've remained very good mates who've kept in contact. So I still have a link with people that I, you know, I've known and who, who, who couldn't care less what I'd done to be, yeah. well, they, I say that they could, but they, it wasn't, as I say, it wasn't the defining moment of my life. Yeah. Um, it was the times when I was writing and I was yeah. writing, I think well and doing Absolutely. the job professionally uh, and and that they've remained very stable influences, um, and we still speak on a yep. on, on a on a very regular basis. But yep. it's essentially they they kind of keep me in touch with things that are going on. Yeah. Um, the, the 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 sad thing for me is that uh, none of them are journalists. Okay. As, yep, but as as, my, as but as my wife, who once worked for WTA, used to say, it's funny how you when you're not useful to people anymore yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they they cut you off at the knees yeah, yeah absolutely uh, and i i was i used to think that that wasn't true but yeah. i'm afraid um over the, over the years uh, yeah. i i don't speak to any of the the guys who i used to spend every day of almost you know every week oh. with, which i i find quite sad no it is sad and i have to ask the question as well why do you think you did it? 
do you think do you think it was you were overworked you were you know you'd become complacent well i i think it's probably an amalgamation of all those things you just mentioned dan y yeah. yes complacency for sure yeah. um i mean i'll go to my grave saying that i i didn't do it deliberately yeah but but i did it and yeah. whether I, you know, it wasn't something, right, I'm going to steal that from that person. I'm going to steal yeah, yeah. that from that person. That yeah. never entered my head. It was yeah. getting the job done as quickly as I could. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, when I, think, when I think about the year that Andy won Wimbledon and I was asked almost straight after Wimbledon to write his book, yeah. I, should have, I should have dropped the Wimbledon annual that year. There's yeah. too much to do, but almost a sense of pride. Yeah. I mean, I did have a great sense of pride that I, that they, that when John Parsons passed away in 2004, Chris Gorringe, who was the chief executive then, came up to me and said, would I like to do the book? Yeah. And all right, it was only a coffee table book that went to about 20,000 people. Yeah. But to say that was my work, well, yeah, as it yeah. was, it, in the end, it wasn't all my work. Yeah, um, yeah. But that was my responsibility to yeah, deliver yeah. that for the All England Club was, was yeah. an amazing, uh, I, well, was it a tribute to my ability? I don't know, but the, the, the All England Club had asked me to do it. Yeah. What I should have done, I think, having had five years of doing it and finding it quite, quite stressful because you'd done Monte Carlo, Rome, Paris, Queens, yeah. um, Eastbourne, Wimbledon, after, after yeah. seven weeks of nonstop, you, you were knackered. And what yeah, I should yeah. have said was, I've done it now five times. I'll, I'll give it up and let someone else yeah. have a go. But I, I suppose a full sense of pride said, I'll keep going, I'll keep going, I'll yeah. keep going. And I um, did a, did a half-assed job. Yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. But I don't think the half-assed job that I did, as, yeah. as bad as it might have seemed to certain people, yeah. des deserved um, yeah. what, what happened to me. I really don't. Yeah, but I think there's, I think there's a little lesson in there for people listening as well that I think we are all guilty of taking on too much at times, you know, in this in this crazy world that we live in, and and it can bite us in the arse sometimes. Um, have you been back to Wimbledon since? Once. I, and how, I was, how was that? Well, it it was um, it was actually Paul Hutchins' funeral. Okay. The, the old the old Davis Cup captain, which was up at St Mary's. Yep. And the invitation was to to go back to the All England afterwards for the yeah. um, for drinks. Yeah. I felt I felt extremely uncomfortable. Okay. Um, I could sense people looking at me as if to say, "What are you doing in here? You're supposed to, you know, you're not supposed to come through the gates." Um, but Paul had made it very plain that anyone who had gone, you know, had gone to the funeral should go back for a, for a drink or so afterwards. To be honest, I couldn't wait to get out of the place. Okay. Um, I felt distinctly uncomfortable. I had a chat with Andy, actually, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> but we had, a, we had a little chat and that was nice, but I didn't yeah. know. I, I, um, I don't think I'll go back probably ever unless someone invites me. I don't, I don't, it's, it's not comfortable. It won't be comfortable. And I wouldn't really, I, I, I don't really want to go there. I'd rather go to all the others, to be perfectly honest with you, Dan. Yeah, I understand that. Well, I, I, I truly hope that that you are invited back because I think there's, in in life, like I've touched on, we, we all make mistakes, but we, we don't need to be crucified by them. And we all need to to, to move on from, from things, you know? And I think 
you know, Wimbledon is a fantastic tennis club. If if Wimbledon could, you know, not that they're going to listen to my voice, but if they could just actually sit back and reflect a little bit, you know, and go, do you know what? What an amazing job this guy did for us, for tennis, for so many years in the UK. Um, and you know what? Hands have been held up. He's He's suffered enough for this. Do you know what? Let bygones be bygones, you know. In well, I do. I, I do remember back in the early two thousands when I was chairman of the tennis writers, and the the new refurbishments were were underway of the of the of the, the, the press room and the press facilities at the All England. I was I was very much involved in the negotiations in the you know who should go where 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 yeah. we should sit people how it should be portrayed. Um, in the development of the facilities that are now regarded as some of the best in, in tennis. Yeah. So it's not as though I, I was just a writer. I was sort of very much involved in helping them see that the press and, and most especially yeah. the international press weren't uh, overlooked because there was a time when the All England tended to dismiss the international writers. Yeah. We, we and I, as, as the chairman of the tennis writers at those, that time was very strong in making sure that the international press were represented more in the program. Yeah. Uh, they came to the meetings with, the, with the, the club committees about press facilities. So I was always a forward yeah. thinker. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure is still evolving and ongoing, but um, we broke the barriers a little bit in terms yeah. of, uh, of getting the international press um, a, lo a lot more involved in how, the, um, how it should be how it should work for them as well as it was for the domestic press because as i say the all england in the old days was very much oh, only the british press matter yeah, yeah, foreign yeah, chappies yeah. you know what are they? Yeah, and yeah. um so anyway we broke that barrier down yeah well we can we can hope neil or, or you've you've moved on with your life but I, I i certainly do and and as you've moved on with your life obviously we talked about it at the start um, but certainly something I'm very excited about. You, you booked it out in a couple of weeks, Close Quarters, Wickham Wanderers. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, I, I, I live in the same town as Gareth Ainsworth, the manager, and we, we, we've met each other and chatted about various things. And it just dawned on me that here was a story, going back a year, of an impoverished League One club and what was it like for the manager who'd been there seven years to try and keep to keep going essentially yeah, yeah. How, how did he find the enthusiasm and the drive um and the first day we were back at training there were nine he had nine players out on the training pitch wow. and it, it was this is going to be a disaster um yeah. you know they're going to struggle they're going to be in the relegation zone um and I, but he 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 accepted that it was a story in in, in that in that uh, in that context um, so we, we started and within a couple of weeks, suddenly this, this unknown guy from America turned up and said, I want to buy a football club. Right. Um, and, uh, negotiations had to, you know, back and fro, et cetera, et cetera. Um, anyway, there was a little bit of a, an investment promised and delivered. So suddenly the situation changed and from, from nine players, there were 20 players. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, okay, well, it's still going to be a tough, t tough ask, but they've got a bit of a chance to be competitive. Yeah. Within a within six weeks, they were top of the league. Yeah. 
so it was yeah. okay let's 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 sort of try and work this yeah. one out yeah. um and they stayed top of the league and at, at, at the turn of the year they were top of the league right so people began to think this could be the most extraordinary yeah. story of all time i mean this this yeah. little little wiccan wanderers cannot possibly keep this up yeah um by March, they, they'd gone down a little bit. They were fourth and then eighth, but they were eighth because they were due to play Berry, who'd been thrown out of the league at the start of the season. Okay. Um, and was still within touching distance of, of, of the top two when you know, the coronavirus struck. Yeah. So the whole thing came to a grinding halt. Yeah. So it was right, how do, how's it going to restart? Yeah. When are we going to restart? Are we ever going to restart? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's when the you know, this, this idea of, of working out this, the, the scenario on points per game, the average of games, you know, points won as games played. Yeah. And if that was the chosen way and we could finish or finish in some, in some way, Wickham were third. Right, okay. Th therefore, they were in the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was, the, that was the decision, of course. Yeah. Behind the scenes, there's all sorts of stuff going on. I know the, in, yeah. the book will explain it, I hope. And, yeah. But... So they're third and they go into the playoffs. So the playoffs are finally arranged and they play Fleetwood. Yeah. Um, and they we go to Fleetwood and they won four one. Just extraordinary. I mean, this you know, cardboard cutouts and yeah. people us with masks and the whole thing. So they get through six three on aggregate, which means they're in the final at Wembley yeah. to play Oxford. Yeah. Um, who Oxford have beaten them in the league. A local, local, local derby as well. A local derby. In fact, it's the the, the most local derby that the nearest that they have. Yeah. So Oxford are favourites, as as one would imagine. They you know they had a good record, good footballing side, um, and you know lo, lo and behold, we can win the final penalty yeah. ten minutes from time. Amazing. Um, absolutely amazing. I mean, I my reaction at the end was like when Andy won Wimbledon. Right. Yeah, I yeah. mean, literally, I could not contain myself. I'm yeah, yeah. thinking book sales might have gone up, you know, 10,000. <laughs> might have gone Absolutely. up 10,000 on this. Uh, but just to see them, um, a, group, a group of lads I'd got to know yep. over, over a year and really, and I'd been welcomed on, in the dressing room on away trips, on the, yep. on the coach, um, you know, players telling me their stories, yep. which, which they hadn't told people before. Um, it was just the most incredible night. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the people use the word surreal, but imagine being at Wembley with a hundred people, yeah. all behind masks, watching these kit, these guys, who had you know, only two of them had ever played, three of them had ever played in the championship before. Yeah. Very, you know, very minor appearances. Getting to the champ, this team that was going to yeah, be the, the, do the dog's body of, of League One. Yeah. Um, just just absolutely extraordinary and yeah. i just hope i've done them justice because they're all going coming on to me saying where's am i getting a free copy am i getting a free copy i said you've just got a bonus for getting in the championship yeah, exactly. you can get it's your 12 quid spot. out you can get your 12 quid out boys come on. all good bookstores you know <laughs> come on but no it is and, and like i i think we touched on earlier before the podcast Wickham Wanderers is very special to our hearts and, you know, all the, the Bisham lads, you know, the Bisham boys as we were back in the day because um, Wickham Wanderers was our local club and um, Alan Smith was the, he was the manager at the time, um, the old Crystal Palace manager and he used to come down and have tennis lessons off us 
Um, and the, the story I remember on that was one day he, he came down and he threw this tracksuit at me and goes, that's yours, Dan. And I said, what's, what's that? What's that, Alan? He said, your bloody Geordie bastard sent me down back in whenever it was. And uh, apparently Newcastle have beaten Crystal Palace on the, on the last day of the season, sent them out of the Premier League or probably Division One at the time. Um, and he said, that's the tracksuit that I wore on that day. He said, I don't want that. So I've still got the Crystal Palace tracksuit. And then he used to invite us along to the matches. I remember going to Walsall for an away match once. I mean, we were like, we were into it. Um, and he would invite us into the the manager's office and he would sit there and he'd say, come on, lads, who, who am I going to play at left back today? And, you know, we would have like a bit of banter with him. And so, so yeah, so Wickham Wanderers, very, very close to my heart and a lot of the tennis boys' hearts as well. So all of you Bisham boys, make sure you get yourself a copy of the book as well, because it'll, it'll bring back a lot of great memories for us. Brilliant. As well. That's brilliant. No, uh, it, it, it has been, um, you know, you look at you look at moments in your life, and you think, well, if I'd still been doing tennis, of course, I'd never I'd never have got this opportunity. Um, so, so some things some things are meant to be, and this Absolutely. this was meant to be. And as I say, it it could have been a disaster. They could have finished up mid table, and nothing ever nothing happened. Yeah, and yeah. It, yeah. But the fact is, that they're in the championship next season, and. Um, it, 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 true, it truly is. A, a, a one, if you'd have gone to a publisher and said, look, I'm going to write a book about a, a team with no money, yeah. um, the lowest budget in the league, yeah. um, there's, going to, there's an American, 70-year-old American lawyer is going to, from New Orleans is going to buy them. Um, there's going to be a global pandemic. You've done well with that, Neil. I tell you what, you're determined to make this book sale that you've managed to create a global pandemic just for the story, you know? Well, <laughs> and, 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 and at the end of it, this, this team of no-hopers in, in an empty Wembley stadium will, will yeah. win promotion. They'd, yeah. have, they'd have said, you, you're completely off your rocker. Yeah. So um, there you go. The, 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 it's, it's, it's there and it's been done. And um, I'm... As I say, I'm now looking for my next venture, but I can't possibly top this, I don't think. Yeah, well, it was that story was written back when I was a youngster, and it was called it was called Roy of the Rovers, you know, and it and that didn't do do too bad. So it's no, Melchester the, was it Melchester yeah. Rovers? Wasn't yeah, it? it was. Yeah, it used to. Be I remember. My, uh, I'm I'm old as well, Dan. You know, I know <laughs> these things. I used to absolutely love it. So yeah, what before we moved our quick fire, what is next for, for Neil Harmon? I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, yeah, I, shall, I shall go to a couple of Wiccan games next season, hopefully if, in, yeah. if invited, unless the book, unless no one likes what I've written. <laughs> um, but it's looking for the next, looking for the next project. Um, I mean, I, it, it's, it's books now for me, so yeah. it would be something that, that either I was approached to do or I had an idea and I went to someone and said, would you like to do this? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's wait and see. I'm going to take, take a couple of deep breaths, see how this one goes down. Yeah. I mean, it's out, it's out in two weeks time. So there'll, there'll be a little kind of hopefully yeah. a, a resurgence of, of interest in that. And then yeah. maybe at the start of the new year, I'll say, right, what's the next thing to do? Yeah, well, well, all the best with that. It sounds it sounds amazing, and I'll I'll certainly be buying my copy. So good man. Uh, good good luck with how that goes. Um, our quick fire, our quick fire tradition to you control the controls. Uh, no, there's no warning that anyone listening, right. if they think that we warn our guests, this is this is pure quick fire. You know what's the, what's at the top of your okay. head? Um, online or print? Print. Singles or doubles? 
Singles. Tennis or football? Uh, football. Nadal or Federer? Nadal. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? Davis Cup. Injury timeout or not? Not. One rule change that you would have in the game of tennis? Oh, gosh, that is a tough one. Um, I, I, I would, I would um, have towels on rails at the back of the court. Like it. So they like couldn't it. be touched by ball boys or ball girls. I hated it when players went, towel. Yeah, absolutely. That really annoyed me. That's another original one. We've, we've asked that question to all 47 guests and you've managed to do another original. So that's so well done. That's perfect. Uh, Neil, you've been an absolute star. I've loved talking to you. It's great to see that big smile on your face. Yeah, it's great to see that passion burning strong. Yeah, and, and, a, and a big, big thank you for coming on the show. No, I've loved every minute of it, Dan. And thanks for the opportunity. It, it's, it's nice to be kind of back on the air and um, good luck with everything going forward. And who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, tennis in Spain and an Englishman in Spain might be a, a topic for, for, for discussion at some stage going one, forward. One day, I've always said, and I, I've currently got about 72 chapters of what's happened since, since I set up the Academy in Spain. One day, I definitely want to write a book. I'm not a writer, but I am. I do have some creation, and I do have a lot of stories to go on. So I might Brilliant. be getting. I might be getting in touch. I'll be, I'm. I'm all ears. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot, Neil. Thanks, Dan. Massive thank you to Neil Harmon for his time, his openness, his honesty, his insights. I love the chat, Neil. And hope everyone enjoyed listening in. Uh, please do take the time to check out his book. Um, it looks and sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, it'll certainly be something that I'll be I'll be reading myself. And yeah, just as always, guys, a big, big, big thank you. I'm having some people ask me about where my co-host is, Mr. McGann. Um, he's still a big part of the podcast. He's going to be back on some podcasts very soon uh, just as as we are in we're in crazy times and you know a lot of his time had to be dedicated right now to be building his business and academy back up in Ireland has uh, made it a little bit more challenging for us to get together to do the podcasts but um, don't worry that the Irish accent that charm is is going to be back on your on your screens very soon and uh, we'll look forward to it but for now, I'm Dan Kiernan, my co-host John McCann. We are Control the Controllables.